You're listening to She Said What with your host, Alyssa Harper. Hello, everybody. Welcome or welcome back to She Said What. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy that you've clicked on this episode and you're listening today. You're so spicy. Look at you thinking about your sex life. Ooh, it's... Anyways, very happy to have you here. This podcast is all about all the things that... I find at least people don't tend to want to talk about as much, especially with their friends and their family. And it's just, it's the things that we don't really get enough education on. And that's what we're here to talk about. This is a space for you to realize that you are not alone. It is a shame-free space. And it's a place for you to learn about your body and learn how to enjoy it more, how to care for it better, and how to ultimately have a good time. So here we are. I am um, so excited right now. Uh, Like, you guys have no idea. Guess what's happening? Tomorrow morning, I wake up at 5 a.m. and I go to the airport and I get on a plane and I go see my family for the first time in two and a half years. Oh my God, isn't that crazy? Ah, I'm so excited. Um, And yeah, Sam and I are so pumped. Sam is my husband, by the way, if you don't know. Um, we are just, we've been planning so hard for this trip. We've been like saving money for literally forever to go on this trip. And I'm just, I'm so excited. And I just have to basically pack and that's it. So this is going to be my last podcast episode for probably the next like three weeks, potentially four weeks, realistically, by the time I come back and get settled and get things going again, you know? Um, going to take a little break, which will be awesome because it will give me some time to kind of figure out what I want to do with the podcast going forward. And I asked you guys on Instagram a few days ago for like requests and I got a bunch of requests, which which is awesome because it helped me, it helps me like steer me in the right direction and obviously create things that it's going to be useful for you guys. And it's, that's obviously, that's the goal of this podcast. This podcast is for you. So thanks for being here. Today, we are talking about how to have amazing orgasms. And this isn't just how to have an orgasm. This isn't, you know, the base level. It is like, you know, all these things are important for everybody to know, but this isn't a how to have an orgasm if you can't have orgasms. I just want to make that clear because I do have an episode called Why Can't I Orgasm? And if that's you, go listen to that one first and then listen to this one. Um, So we're not technically addressing that today, but what we are addressing is why orgasms are so amazing, what the different phases of orgasm are, is. For some reason, I'm mixing up my is and are recently. I don't know what that is. I can confirm that English is definitely my first language, um, but you wouldn't think it. Um, so we're talking about that. We're talking about the pelvic floor, which I find so interesting and how strengthening the pelvic floor can give you like mind blowing orgasms. And we're going to talk about that. Talk a little bit about like toys and lube and shame and why some people experience sadness after an orgasm, um, how common it is and like what to do if that's you. And yeah, it's going to be a great episode. I'm very excited to be talking about this. Um, you guys know I love talking about sex. Always have. Always will. I just think it's great. Um, I think for me, because I grew up pretty conservative. Um, not, I don't know. I wouldn't say like super conservative, but I was definitely Christian. Definitely was told not to have sex before marriage. Wasn't told, like was told I wasn't meant to live with anybody before I married them, all of that. So I don't know how conservative that is in comparison to what you were brought up with. But to me, 
it doesn't feel crazy because I wasn't, I was allowed to do things. I was just shamed into not doing them. And I don't mean like by my parents or anything specifically. I just mean in general by like the group that I was in and like I went to a church and Christian school and all of that, you know? So anyways, that's, that's me. That's me. But we're going to get right into this episode. Wait, I need to do put my little, my little do to do to do to do thing in. Um, okay. So Thank you so much for listening to my intro. Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Okay. Um, sorry. My my organization today is not very good. Usually I give my intro, I do the little song, the little jingle, and then I give you an update on my week, but I've already given it to you because I was so excited to tell you. So sorry about the confusion this week. I'll make sure that when I get back to creating episodes, I am more on top of things. (laughs) Let's get right into it with talking about what the four different stages of orgasm is, are. Four stages of orgasm is. No, it's definitely is, right? Okay. So I didn't know this actually for a long time and I found it really interesting that we're not taught about this. Like, Why the hell are we not taught about this in school? Like, I think this is important knowledge important information. Um, I learned this a few years ago because I was actually doing some counseling with a sexologist to work through the shame that I had around sex. (laughs) As you can see, um, it's going well (laughs) because this is what I do with my time. Um, Maybe I'm, I'm just overcompensating and I still have a lot of sexual shame. I don't know. I don't know, but you can psychoanalyze me. I'll leave that to you. Um, The different stages. Number one is tumescence. I like that word, tumescence. Basically, this is when you start to become aroused. This is like your heart rate is rising, your blood starts to pump a little bit faster, your breathing speed increases, and your limbic system, which is your brain's emotional center, it starts to send out neurochemicals that causes your body to be more and more interested in sex. Obviously, if you're in a sexual situation, then that's only going to amplify more and more and more and more. And that craving and that urge to have a sexual experience is going to grow. Um, if you're not, it might just kind of dwindle back down and you'll, you'll jump right into the refractory period, which is the fourth stage, but I'm skipping ahead. You might just kind of phase back down. This is especially noticeable, obviously in males because they have their penis fill up with blood. And there's an obvious signal of this, um, for vulva owners, it isn't as obvious, but people will definitely notice that they'll have like swelling. Um, and by swelling, I don't mean bad swelling. (laughs) Um, they have like, um, blood flow to the area. It does work in the same way where it fills up with blood. And then you notice that there is some like puffiness around your vulva. Second phase is called orgasmic plateau and orgasmic plateau sounds like it's like after orgasm, but it's not. It is the second phase and it is the kind of like the star of the show. Okay. This is the one that we're really, we're going to talk about. This is when you start to get like rosy cheeks. You're flushing through the chest. Like your breathing is really picked up. All those things that I mentioned in stage one, they've just amplified. As you near climax, your cerebellum, cerebellum, you know what? I actually again, don't know how to talk. I kept saying to myself, cerebrum, so like over and over and over for some reason when I was learning this and I kept saying it out loud and I was like, that's not right. Definitely cerebellum. It sends messages to your muscles 
to tighten. So it's interesting. I mean, this is kind of obvious. And if you know anything about science, you might think this is obvious, but I thought this was quite cool that obviously as you kind of near climax, your brain starts to send all these chemicals to like help you do that. It's so cool. Our bodies are so intertwined. It's just beautiful. I just think sometimes we think of like our sex um, organs, (coughs) hello, as being like a separate thing. Like it's like a separate thing, you know, whereas like your body is just so like everything works together and you start to kind of sweat and get rosy cheeks and you have this like it's a full body experience. It really is. And it's quite cool because that's what we're going for when we go through all these tips I'm giving you. We're going for that full body experience. Okay, we're going for that that big orgasm, the big one. All right. Then what happens is you release oxytocin and nitric oxide, which flushes out cortisol. And if you don't know, cortisol is your stress hormone, or it's a hormone that would make you feel stressed. We can talk about it like that. And what's really obviously amazing about that is it flushes it out, and oxytocin doesn't just make you feel stressed in the sense of, oh, I'm stressed today. Oh, I have this going on, blah, blah, blah. It's not just that. It actually takes a toll on your body if you have too much of it and if you aren't de-stressing and doing things to take care of yourself, which obviously we all know, you know, burnout is a whole thing. Um, Being stressed and having anxiety is a whole thing. Not self-caring for yourself can obviously lead you to having those symptoms over time, blah, 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 right? And it's cool because this is how we understand on a scientific level why having an orgasm, either having sex or masturbating or whatever, is actually a form of self-care. So when people say like, oh, it's pleasure is self-care, you're like, yeah, whatever. It actually is. Like That's why people say it, because it literally flushes out the hormone that causes you stress, and it helps you to regulate a bunch of things, which is amazing. It gives you better periods, better immunity, less stress, obviously, regulates ovulation, So helping you have that cycle more consistently, which you know, we talk about on this podcast all the time, cycle syncing and how to lean into your cycle. And it's quite hard to lean into your cycle if you don't have a cycle or you don't have a consistent cycle. And knowing that orgasm helps with this, definitely a factor for you if you want to lean into cycle syncing. And also supports fertility, which is funny because I made a TikTok about this and I had a bunch of comments like, ooh, you had me until fertility. (laughs) So sorry about that one. Uh, Just, I don't want to leave out anything, you know? I'm never trying to leave out certain points to like make a point. I think that's pretty sketchy. Um, And look, maybe you're trying to make a baby. I don't know. If you are, congratulations. That's so exciting. What a life choice. Wow. Next phase is climax, stage three. We all love a good climax, don't we? That's when serotonin, oxytocin, more, and DHEA is released, which is just going to leave you feeling amazing. It's going to leave you feeling just relaxed. It's going to leave you feeling like, "Mm, yes, I got that nice orgasm that I was going for which is amazing. We all love it. There's not much to say about it. We just know it's good. It's just, it feels great. It's a good time. Stage number four is your refractory period. This is when everything just basically starts to chill out, right? This is when everything just starts to relax, 
Breathing slows down, your muscles kind of relax, you don't feel that tightness anymore, you start to relax, your blood starts to pump back to normal, everything just chills. You know, everything chills right out, and that's great. Uh, What's interesting about this is vulva owners have a much shorter refractory period, which means that they are much more likely to be able to jump back into going through the phases once again. Um, And then penis owners, it does take some time. Varies for people, absolutely. Some people, it's like quite short. Some people, it can be like a whole day. It could be even longer. So depends on the person, but there you go. So that's the different phases, stages, parts of orgasm. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought, it, you know, it's good to know. Maybe next time you're in that situation, you can start to call it out. I think that would be quite sexy. I think you would like that. I think your partner would like that as well. And if you're alone, I think you should still do it. (laughs) Um, I want to jump into talking about what it's like for people and what to do if you're in the situation. If you feel guilt or shame after an orgasm. And I think that a lot of people will experience experience this for a lot of different reasons. And this is specifically guilt or shame. I'm not talking about like post-orgasm sadness. I'm talking about that next, okay? But right now, specifically shame and like, I shouldn't have done that. You know, that's wrong. Like a lot of negative thinking, whatever. Something that was recommended to me when I was originally experiencing this after coming out of the church and experiencing this basically my whole life until I started to explore my sexuality and realize that all of the things that I was told were not going to apply to me for the rest of my life. Thank God. Um, or maybe not thank God. Maybe th- th- thank me. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to move on. I'm getting a bit controversial. Um, I was recommended to do something positive before and after I experienced any sexual experience, um, whether that be masturbation or sex with a partner or whatever. What you want to do is do something that is going to increase dopamine and basically tell your body, I am safe. I am happy. That was a good experience. There's no like downfall after this. I can go and do something awesome right after. There's nothing wrong. And it's partly like a brain thing. It's partly a body thing. Like obviously we are so intertwined as human beings that It's kind of just like all of the above. Um, One thing that was recommended was to listen to your favorite song before and after, which sounds like simple, but it genuinely can really help. Another thing is like eating something before and after. Not that you want to create like some sort of unhealthy pattern with, with having to like eat before and after, but it's just something that you can do for sure. And it doesn't have to be the same thing before and after also, just to note that you don't have to listen to the song twice and you don't have to like eat the same thing. (laughs) You can do whatever, but it's just doing something good before and after. Um, Obviously, yeah, telling your body that you're safe and there's nothing to be worried about. And I think especially with guilt and shame, we feel so alone when we feel shame, but you need to realize that sex is a natural human craving that almost everyone experiences, obviously, unless you are asexual, like basically everyone. Um, And it's ingrained into us. It's the reason we still exist today, right? You came into this world 
because your parents, sorry, you, had a craving, maybe made a choice to conceive or didn't, but here you are. And when we are leading up to having a sexual experience, even if we think I shouldn't be doing this, this is bad, whatever, maybe it's a religious thing or you just have shame around it for whatever reason. Maybe you think I'm too young or I'm too this or I'm too that, whatever. Um, you know, certain things I you experience kind of growing up or you second guess yourself, whatever. What happens when you have that craving, which is again, a very human thing, is that craving outweighs the negative thoughts. Like it's like, oh, I shouldn't, but oh, I really want to. And it like kind of will encourage you to do the thing. But once the craving is satisfied, all you're left with are the negative thoughts. And now that I'm older and like I've gone through this whole journey, to me, I'm like, oh yeah, true. But I remember being quite young and being in like relationships and having sexual experiences. And by quite young, I don't mean like obviously super young. I'm just saying, you know, I I wasn't, in my 20s yet. And I remember being like, not saying I'm not going to have sex. I'm not going to have sex with my boyfriend. You know, I'm going to now that's the last time we ever have sex. We're going to wait till we're married. Like literally that, like it was bad guys. (laughs) It was a rough time. Um, and then I would have sex with that person and I would literally be like, Oh my God, I fucked up again. I did it again. Oh, I'm so bad. Oh, like it was like my world would come crashing down. Like even when my husband and I, we're dating because we met in Bible college. I know I say this and I feel like this always comes up in my episodes. So hopefully you guys just know this by now and it's a known thing, but I did Bible college for two years and we met in Bible college. So we were dating that whole time. And yeah, it was, it was hard. It was really hard because we had a bunch of situations where we were told you shouldn't be having sex. You can't be having sex. Can't be doing this. Can't be doing that. Um, I've told this story before on my podcast, but where we, not we, I was called in to an appointment with like one of the kind of head people, like head counselor people at our college because someone saw us sitting under a blanket together. And they're basically like, if you're sitting under a blanket in public, what are you doing in private? Right? Ridiculous. Anyways, we experienced a lot, a lot of shame around our sex life. Um, And we still, you know, are outworking that today and healing from that today, if I'm being completely honest. So it is something that sticks with you and it's a really tough thing. Um, And when you have the cravings, you want to do the thing, but then afterwards and everything relaxes, your body relaxes, the hormones balance back out. And again, remember, these are hormones causing these things. They are very natural human responses to sexual arousal. Um, or even anything that could trigger you to want to have a sexual experience, even just being with that person, loving that person, all very natural things. Um, Once that's released, then you can feel quite down about it. And I honestly, when I got um, married to my husband, I remember when people, people said to me, like other Christian people in my life or whatever at the time, were like, so like what do you think now now that you're finally married and like you're allowed to have sex like how does it feel and I remember saying the exact same it feels the exact same except now we have a piece of paper that makes my relatives comfortable that we can live together like it's honestly it was that and I I always wondered is there gonna be some big flip am I suddenly gonna feel amazing no and what's more interesting is for a lot of people including us at the very start, was we didn't get any switch. No switch in the sense of, oh, now we're suddenly happy. We still felt shame after we had sex. 
What the hell's that? Yeah, I know. What the hell? How did that happen? Yep, because that's how our brains work. Because we teach our brains to think a certain way. We go through patterns over and over and over. And then we think that writing down something on a piece of paper suddenly makes it better. And unfortunately, it's not, it's not biologically how it works. And that's the truth of the matter. Like, it's not, I'm not disagreeing with, you know, Christian beliefs or saying you shouldn't believe that or you shouldn't wait till marriage. Like, you do whatever the hell you want to do. But I, I would say that if you are in this situation or religious or whatever and you feel shame after sex, I remember giving this advice so quickly to somebody when she was DMing me and we were talking all about it. I said to her, the, the one thing I wish I didn't do was waste all that time over the years crying after I had sex, crying about feeling like I shouldn't be masturbating, crying because I had watched porn, crying because I had done this or that or this, or praying about not wanting to feel certain urges. Oh my God. Oh my, like the amount of time I would have spent doing that, you guys have no idea. And I know a lot of people this will resonate with. And it's quite honest, to be honest of me. Like I, I, I didn't necessarily plan on sharing this, but I'm just being honest. Like this is, this is it. This is why you're here. And if you're experiencing that, I just want to say, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry that you feel this. I'm sorry that whatever situation you're in, it was ingrained into you, but there is absolutely ways to deal with it. And I definitely recommend trying that practice of doing something before and after, because I had huge breakthroughs with doing that. Um, and I don't like making these episodes about me because it's a bit weird because I'm talking about sex and I don't want it to come off weird, but I don't know. I hope it makes you feel less alone and to not feel crazy or bad or like you're doing something bad because you're not. And I think eventually you'll feel the same of like, I wish I didn't waste time. Anyways, I'm not going to spend any more time on that because I don't know if that's going to relate to people, but I just feel like I should have said it. Anyways, next, I want to talk about feeling sad or down after sex. Um, and by down, I just mean like melancholy, that kind of vibe. Um, and this is unrelated to um, like religious trauma or shame or anything that you were told kind of growing up. This is just like feeling sad after having an orgasm, but not knowing why. So this is actually called postcoital tristis. Postcoital tristis. I actually don't know how to say that. PCT. That's what it's called. And nearly half of men and women report experiencing at least one instance of postcoital dysphoria, which is really interesting. I didn't realize it was that high. Um, guilt surrounding sex, body, or performance issues, or past sexual trauma can all contribute to this. So there's lots that can contribute to this. Um, and it's actually a super well-documented phenomenon with references dating back to the Roman empire. So like, this is a thing, like it's a real thing. And it's funny because like people will talk about it, but I feel like people also will not validate it as a real thing, but it absolutely is. There's a whole thing of that, like Freud wrote on it and whatever he says, he said a lot and we're not going to go into that. I don't really want to use him as a reference, but it's, it's a well-studied thing and it's a well-talked-about thing as well. Um, one reason this could happen is that during sex, the amygdala dampens fear and anxiety. So post-coital sadness could be explained as the amygdala function sharply returning to normal levels. 
if that makes sense. So if during sex we're like, oh, everything's fine, huh? <laughs> like, let's just have an orgasm. And then after everything balances out and then you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that or like, I really don't like my body or I wonder what they thought about my body during that. Or, oh, I hope they didn't see that. Or that thing that happened was so awkward. I hope they didn't, whatever. Whereas in the moment you might be able to kind of look past it and be like, whatever, we're both enjoying this. Ah!" And then after you might suddenly be embarrassed or have negative feelings. Um, and that could be one of the reasons humans are, like I said, deeply intricate beings. And we naturally relate experiences that we are having currently to past experiences, especially when there's commonalities between the two situations. And you could just see these as like triggers. Um, if you have been rejected sexually in the past, if you've been hurt by someone through a sexual experience, everyone has different experiences. And it's definitely important that we take time to think about like, hmm, what are my experiences there? Could there be a reason that I'm feeling this? Um, did I have sex with someone in the past and then something happened negatively? Maybe if it was even outside of the sexual experience, but it just correlates in your mind because it's possible that this happens on almost like a more chemical level than it is on a psychological one. Like it, it, it might be happening without you realizing it. And that's why it's really important to kind of take a second and genuinely think about it. Obviously sexual trauma would be a huge trigger for this. Um, and sexual trauma isn't just something someone has done something to you sexually. It's not just that it can also just be things that were said to you about sex growing up. Um, it could be how sex was portrayed. I have definitely talked about how I feel like I have sexual trauma in my past and there are layers to that. Um, but I will say like baseline is simply how sex was talked about in kind of my life growing up and what I was told was good and not good. Um, especially when it comes to sexuality and, you know, which genders should be mixing. <laughs> I was definitely not encouraged to be anything other than straight. Um, and we know that I'm not straight. So you could imagine how that was for me. Um, so I would say if, if you experience sexual trauma, whatever that looks like, definitely going to talk to someone about it and seeing a therapist and doing the whole thing. And I know it seems like a big journey, um, but it's absolutely worth going on. I've definitely gone on that journey and you guys can see just through me alone. And I'm sure so many other people, how I've literally gone from crying after sex, thinking I shouldn't be able to have sex, thinking I have to definitely be straight and feeling horrible about myself and having no confidence to now having a podcast where I talk about how to have orgasms. So do you see what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that I'm like the poster child. I'm just saying that it's definitely worth your time. And that journey can literally be zero to a hundred if you're willing to put in the time and effort. It's so worth it. So, so worth it. Um, another one that this, where this can kind of, you know, be in the same situation or be caused by the same situation is, um, when you're using sex as a bandaid in a relationship. So this is more obviously relationship based, um, based. Why did I say it like that? Using sex as a bandaid is something that a lot of people do when their relationship is either unhealthy or there's like a very obvious wedge in the relationship or there's just something, um, that they don't want to talk about, whatever it is. And what's hard about it is, again, like I said earlier, when you have that craving, this distraction, 
Um, it allows you to not have to think about that thing. And then you have the orgasm and then everything chills out. Your body chills, all your hormone levels go back to normal. And then you have to think about that thing again. So that would be a very obvious trigger as to why you might feel this way if this is happening when you're having sex with a partner or someone that you're seeing or whatever. Regardless of why this might be coming about, what's going on in your brain, look, it's interesting to know, but at the end of the day, what can you actually do about it? I would say absolutely self-care after having any sort of sexual experience. Just caring for yourself, slowing down, taking the time. I hear about this all the time, like post-sex. People talk about post-sex, just love, post-sex, post-sex relaxation, post-sex, blah, 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 because it, we need sometimes a chance for ourselves to connect with that person in a slower way or cuddle or just even just if you're alone, just being in, with yourself for a moment before you jump to the next thing. Um, telling your body that the moment after you orgasm, you don't have to go jump and do this thing and do this and do that, but being like, okay, I'm safe, I'm relaxed, I'm enjoying this experience, and I'm happy that I now feel good after having that orgasm, and I've just done something awesome for my body, and I've just connected with myself, and letting it be a moment for you to go, okay, I actually feel confident about that, I feel good about that, and changing that kind of like messaging that you have around it and just taking the time to slow down and care for yourself and maybe eat something and drink some water and make sure you clean up well and make sure that you take care of your body physically as well as mentally and just taking time before and after sex to care for your body and obviously sometimes it comes on like sex comes on randomly or it comes on without you know planning it um but definitely after trying to take some time and some people might experience this more than others and I think it's really important to know whether or not your parent your your partner experiences this because if you don't you might be like okay sweet thanks have a good day (laughs) and if they do we need to have empathy to understand that that's actually a sexual need for them it's not oh, but they just, they want to cuddle, whatever they want. And it's like, that's actually something that's going to make them feel safe for the next time you potentially have sex. And when you start to see that as an actual sexual need of theirs, you can start to validate it and really value it. So if you don't experience this, again, don't worry about any of this. You've just learned some things about people. And that's good because if you don't experience this, then if you ever encounter someone who does, now you actually genuinely are going to care for it and understand that it's a real thing and it's something that you should care about and you should be there for them for. I want to talk quickly about self-confidence and how it is increased by knowing your body and feeling like you are in tune with your body. And I think this is something that grows not just because you know what you want, but because you know that you're capable of creating this experience for yourself. And it does build a genuine connection to yourself. Um, I've talked about this before, actually, in another episode about how I am not the biggest advocate for porn in all situations because I think that sometimes porn can be quite distracting and it takes the focus off of you and your body. And a lot of people get into just like habits when it comes to, especially masturbation, where you watch porn, maybe you use a toy, maybe you do it the same way every time, whatever. And it's just kind of like this standard thing and you don't give yourself space to explore. I'm not saying porn is bad or you shouldn't watch porn or whatever. If you do watch porn, please watch ethical porn to be clear. Um, but I think it's something that we should just question every so often. Same with toys. Like 
every so often, it's good to not use a toy and see how it feels and try something different and see maybe you enjoy a different type of touch. And knowing that that can even change week to week, depending on where you're at in your menstrual cycle, if you're someone who has a menstrual cycle. And just understanding that your body is going to fluctuate from experience to experience and to not expect the same result every time to see yourself as like human and moving forward and getting new experiences. And I think when you can see your sex life in that way, rather than like, this is how many times I have sex a week, or this is, you know, how much I masturbate or what you start to be like, Oh, okay. Like I'm just experiencing new things all the time. And that's a beautiful opportunity for me to experience pleasure. It just grows that idea of like self-worth and self-confidence and it absolutely grows self-confidence when it comes to being with a partner because if you know what you want then you can communicate to them what you want and ultimately you have a better experience and they have a better experience because they know that you're actually genuinely feeling satisfied and they also feel that you're actually trusting them to be open and to say oh I think I want this can you try this can we try this position you know can you go faster can you go slower can we and it gives them that opportunity to feel connected with you. And I think that's really important to see that it's not just about your sex life. It's about your life. It's about your mental health. It's about your self-confidence and it branches out into so many other things than just pleasure or like satisfaction. Also, some people use orgasms, specifically, typically masturbation, um, for manifestation and like literally doing like self-care practices and mixing it with orgasm. And I think that's so cool. And like, I would love to just get into this because I think it makes so much sense. Like you are feeling good in your body. You feel like you have like good energy. I feel like, especially when you have an orgasm, it's just this like big flow of like energy or whatever you want to call it. Like this good, you know, all these endorphins are going through your body. What a perfect time to focus on something that you want or something you could see happening for you. Like, why wouldn't you do that? I feel like that's so smart. So I don't know if you're into manifestation and you're into masturbation, then get it going. Give it a try. Because I reckon this, this makes so much sense. And I was reading a bit about this and I'll, I'll link an article below because I don't know heaps about this. Um, this is only something that I've recently like learned about, but I, I thought I would include it because I, I thought that was so cool. And I think too, sometimes we just think like, oh, that's weird. You know, why would you mix? Why would you mix that? Why would you mix this and this? You can't, you can't do that. Sex is blah, 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 blah. Sex is this, this, this. Sex is whatever you want it to be. Pleasure is whatever you want it to be. Masturbation is whatever you want it to be. And I think when we start to realize that, we start to take ourselves out of this box of like, this is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like, you know, and we start to just realize like we can do it however we want. I want to quickly mention that if you don't use lube, you need to start using lube. I had someone message me once and they said, I listened to your podcast and I always believed that buying lube was bad. It was like sinning because you're planning to sin, but I know I'm going to keep having sex with my boyfriend. And I bought lube today because I listened to your podcast and I was like, yes, fuck yeah. Like that's what I want. So I'm going to include it here too, because you need to know that lube will change your life and you will be like, wow, what, what was that? What the hell was I doing before? Spit? Not good. Not working. Dries up. Kind of gross. And look, by gross, I mean, do whatever you want. Okay. I'm not saying it's gross to have spit during sex. It's literally sex, but I'm saying that it's not the most effective tool for lubrication. Okay. I also wanted to mention toys. 
when it comes to toys, there's so many toys you can use and you can have different types of orgasm stimulated by different things. Obviously you can have a clitoral orgasm, clitoris, duh. Um, you can also have like a G spot orgasm, which is basically if you were to make a little C with your finger right now, make a C, point your finger towards you. If you were to put your finger or a toy or whatever into your vagina, if you have a vagina and do like a come hither type of motion or something in that area, you could potentially hit your G spot and have an orgasm that way. And, um, people will definitely talk about how these types of orgasms are different. Some people cannot have an orgasm orgasm through their G spot, or they really struggle to, and they need clitoral stimulation. A lot of people it's, I think it's about 75%. Ah, I said it in my last episode, but I forget now. I think it's 75% of people, of vulva owners, need clitoral stimulation to have an orgasm. But it would be very interesting for you to try, if you haven't, to mix the two, see how that goes, and play around with it. I just thought I'd mention that. There's a whole bunch of toys you can use. There are many different toys that you can use, even specifically for clitoral stimulation. There's like the, what's it called? Little suction ones, the sucky ones. There's vibrators. There are so many different types of vibrators, like bigger space ones that like sit on, you know, your whole kind of vulva area. Um, There's like little ones, like little teeny little, there's that one that's like a necklace. There's a whole thing. Okay. There's so many. Um, I just thought I would mention it. Definitely play around with that. If you are bored (laughs) or you want something new or you want to play around with what it looks like to have different types of orgasms. Now I want to talk about if you are experiencing pain during sex, what to do. Muscle and nerves are 100% changeable with mind and body support And this can be mindfulness, therapy, pelvic floor stretches and strengthening and pelvic floor, seeing a pelvic floor specialist as well, if this is like a proper issue that you've been experiencing for a long time. Um, Pain during sex can also be caused by friction and pain literally because of like the tissue and, you know, the opening of the vagina, pain there. Um, A lot of the time it's people not using lube or going too fast or not asking their partner to have sex with them in a way, and I mean penetrative sex, in a way that is also enjoyable for them. Like I think a lot of the time, this might sound weird, and I don't want to like say anything offensive, but I think that sometimes people think because if if someone's on top, right, penis owner is on top, that they are kind of like in control and they control like the speed and blah, blah, blah. And people get in the habit of just kind of like chilling and sitting there and like just accepting like whatever. And it's, I think a lot of the time we see it in porn and we just assume it's normal. And I think that's a really interesting thing to just ask yourself. Like the last time you had sex, did you just like receive whatever was there? Or did you like ask and like be a part of it? Because sometimes I find that people will talk about, oh, I'm there and I'm pretty present kind of at the start for foreplay and whatever else. But then I kind of switch off a bit during penetration, which like I have seen that a lot with people and have experienced it myself. And so I just thought I'd mention it. I think it's a really interesting thing to ask yourself because a lot of the time people don't really realize they're doing it because they just think it's normal. Right. But why do we think that? Why? Ask yourself that. It's really important. Definitely seeing a professional 
for individual advice if this is like an ongoing issue because I don't want to tell you, oh, just use lube and do this and do that and you'll be fine because it, you genuinely could have something going on. And I don't mean to scare you. I just mean that it's it's worth seeing someone to get to the root of the issue so that you can solve it so that you can have better orgasms and you can have better sex and a more fulfilling sexual life. And you can work with people who will create a plan for you you can even work with a like pelvic floor specialist and a therapist at the same time. I've definitely heard stories of people doing that and that's so cool because they will literally like help you like it sounds a bit um scary when I put it this way but literally help you in the moment put something inside of you and then they'll 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 be able to show how much say you tense up and then they'll help walk you through how to untense <laughs> your muscles. And it's crazy the kind of like results that people have had with that. So definitely seeing that as an option, knowing that's an option, I think that's valuable to mention. And yeah, like I said, like the pain could be a tissue thing as well. And I do actually have a podcast episode called pain during sex where I like really dive into this topic. If you want to hear more about it, where I give like all the tricks and I, I explain so many things about, you know, maybe it's just that you're not going slow enough, or maybe it's just that you're not having enough foreplay, or maybe you're not warmed up enough or whatever. I I talk heaps and heaps about it there. So if you want to listen to that, go there. The last proper full-on subject I want to talk about here is the pelvic floor. Finally, this is like my favorite part. I'm so excited. This is, this is, this is honestly what I've been waiting for. The pelvic floor. Step one, become aware of your pelvic floor. Okay. Laying down is the easiest way to do this. Um, I am a Pilates instructor and I talk about the pelvic floor all the time. It's something that you want to activate and think about when you're doing like ab exercises and really any exercise. Um, and people don't really understand that, especially if they're just kind of like gym goers or whatever. I didn't know anything about it until I started doing Pilates and it has changed my life. Let me tell you, your pelvic floor is basically like a sling. Picture it like a sling. Like if you pop your hands together into like two kind of cups and put them together, it's like that. And it holds all of your organs up in place, supports your organs, and it helps with bladder control and anything that you don't want to come out, it's going to stop it from coming out. And then when you do want it to come out, you actively push on those muscles. Like picture, maybe you can do this right now, but I don't want you to pee yourself. Picture when you go to pee right now, feel how, (laughs) not right now, don't pee. (laughs) Wait, don't pee. But just do the little motion as if you're going to pee, okay? That the the muscle tensing that you feel there, that's your pelvic floor. Yeah? Cool. Glad you got that. Hopefully you didn't pee. We use these muscles especially as well too when we like cough or sneeze or like doing certain activities so we don't pee. (laughs) So that's another thing as well. Or, you know, let anything else out. Who knows what's going to come out down there. You got to, you know, you got to use your pelvic floor to stop that from happening. It's an automatic response that we have. um, But that's why people will talk about like, oh my God, I just peed when they sneezed or they just, oh my God, I laughed so hard. I literally just peed because it's, it's that you literally couldn't control your pelvic floor. Isn't that funny? There you go. Now you know. If your pelvic floor is weak, it is likely going to happen more often to you where you like pee yourself. Um, another one is erectile dysfunction. It can be a common kind of symptom of a weak pelvic floor. Um, finding it hard to hold these muscles tight. So I'm going to take you through a little, a little exercise in a moment. But if you really struggle with it, that could be a weak pelvic floor. 
um, or very weak or light orgasms. So you still have, say, that pulsing sensation. And this is specifically vulva owners I'm talking here. You still have that pulsing sensation. You still, in theory, like release, but you don't feel this like, like energy. You don't feel this surge. You don't feel this like it wasn't so amazing. It's just like it just kind of happened. And a lot of people will say that, oh, my God, this is me. This is me when I talk about this. So thought I'd mention it there. That's how you kind of know if you have a weak or like light pelvic floor. So what you're going to do is we're going to try to strengthen those muscles right now. <laughs> we're going to try to strengthen those muscles. And you can do this in many ways, right? You can do it during exercise um, and you can just do it sitting down doing nothing, which is probably better at first for you to learn how to do it. And then if you are someone who exercises, then when you exercise, doing it then as well. And what's great about this is you can do it whenever, wherever. You can literally do it whenever. No one's going to know. They can't know. So it's perfect. At first, this might seem kind of challenging, but over time with muscle memory, this will be easier and easier. So what you want to do, okay, let's take a second. Chill. Take a deep breath. Inhale. Exhale. One more. Inhale. Exhale. Okay. I want you to try to picture as if you're trying to stop yourself from going to the bathroom. So that lifting feeling that like lift up, lift up, like you're trying to stop yourself up. And then you want to draw across and in through your lower abs as if you're stopping yourself from going to the bathroom. That is how to tighten your pelvic floor. So try again. Release. Nice deep breath. Inhale. And exhale. We're going to do it on the next exhale. Ready? Inhale. Exhale, lift up, across and in. Uh-huh. Did you get it? So that's your pelvic floor. You want to do that as much as you can. Now, you want to see how long you can hold it. So it's great if you can lift up. Let's do it. Ready? Inhale. We're going to do it on the exhale. Exhale, lift up, across and in. Hold. Three, two, one, and release. How'd you go? You want to see if you can hold it for those three seconds. And then you want to see if you can hold it for four seconds and then five seconds. You want to see if you can control it, like hold and then release, hold and then release, hold and then release. And having more control over your pelvic floor will make your orgasms bigger and better. Isn't that awesome? So good. So good. And it's quite cool because if you are someone who likes Pilates and you do Pilates, then that's something that you'll practice all the time, which means that your orgasms are going to be awesome. Isn't that great? There you go. Some people will call this Kegels. If you ever heard of Kegels, it's basically the same thing. Um, I've even heard of like Kegel weights where people like put weights in there and they'll use weights to like lift their pelvic floor. I don't think that's necessary. Um, but if you're working with a pelvic floor specialist, they might actually end up getting you to do something like that. So I don't really know. I, I wouldn't, I'm not saying go buy anything like that. <laughs> don't go crazy. But um, there you go. Another interesting thing you can do with this is to put your finger into your vagina and to do it with your finger in your vagina and you'll feel the tensing like on your finger and you will think that's crazy. So maybe try that too. If you found that really hard, it's kind of important for you to know the reasons as to why that might be. Um, one thing that I have learned that you are not meant to do is you can, you should not be holding in your pee for long periods of time. Um, some people might have like jobs where that's kind of hard. If you're like 
on a certain shift and like, it's just, I got to run to the bathroom really quickly. And you have to tell someone it's a whole thing, maybe in school, whatever you should not be doing it because it actually, there's, um, a, she's a pelvic physiotherapist and woman's health coach. Her name is Hiba Shahid. Hiba Shahid, I believe. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, she has a really interesting TEDx video, which I will also link for you where she talks about why, it is so bad to hold your pee for a long period of time. So you, you might find it interesting, but that's one of the reasons. Try not to do that. Um, chronic constipation is another one. <laughs> Maybe you're experiencing that. I don't know, but there you go. That's one. Another one is childbirth and supporting the weight of the uterus during pregnancy. It can definitely take a toll on your pelvic floor, which is why a lot of People who have just had children, they can't do it right away, but they can come back after they've been cleared by their physio and they do Pilates because they know they have to rebuild that, which is so cool. So helpful. Um, also, obviously, childbirth itself can there can be complications and reasons why um, it loosens it or I shouldn't say loosen it. That sounds bad. Lightens it or makes it weaker. Another one is pressure of obesity can cause it um, just literally the pressure of weight on it. Um, another one is coughing, constant coughing. If you have any sort of issues where you are coughing often, that can also give you a weak pelvic floor. So it's just interesting for you to know the different reasons as to why that could be happening. If that's you and maybe you have none of those things, it could just be that you haven't built up those muscles at all for any reason. Um, and it's definitely worth trying and seeing how it goes because I can confirm that it will help your sex life can confirm it will give you better orgasms. All right. There you go. I'm not going to say any more. You know what I'm saying. Last but not least, this is like last, 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 I promise. I want to talk about how your hormones may affect your pleasure and your orgasms. So you have different levels of hormones every week. And by every week, I mean every day. Obviously, it doesn't like flip over every seven days. Um, it fluctuates. And if you want to see that, I would really encourage you to look up like female hormone chart or female hormone, whatever, because it'll actually give you a really good visual to understand how much it literally changes so much. Um, and that can absolutely affect how our body receives pleasure and what kind of touch we enjoy during sex or during masturbation. And that's why I encourage you to try to switch things up and not do the same thing every time if you're masturbating, because you might realize that on your period, you prefer to not use a toy. And you might not know that unless you don't use a toy or you might realize that on, you know, maybe you don't use toys at all, but you realize that you prefer less pressure or you need to spend more time getting yourself in the mood. It's and by in the mood. I don't just mean mentally. I mean, also like literally warming up your body and getting your body to become aroused. Um, all of those things change from week to week. So definitely just encourage you to take some time and think about what your body's doing and ultimately cycle sync, which if you want to learn more about cycle syncing, I do have episodes on this as well. I have a few actually. Um, and it is so cool. It is so cool what you can do for your body when you start to understand the different phases of your cycle and how to lean into it. It is blowing my mind. And I've had heaps of you guys message me saying like, I just started doing this and I already have had a period that feels so much better or I'm so much energ more energized or, you know, like I'm loving that you guys are loving this because it changed my life and I'm happy I shared it with you. And, um, obviously there's lots of people that could talk to you about this. Um, I would definitely recommend reading in the flow by Alyssa VT, which I will link below. 
And yeah, I just think it's really interesting to talk about these things and to make sure that people feel like there are resources out there for them and that there is knowledge that they can get on these subjects without it being like this big conspiracy of like, oh, do, why do I feel sad after sex? Like, oh, that's not a thing, you know? Why do I feel like I have orgasms but they're not as big as everyone else? Am I missing out? What am I missing? All of those questions are valid and I just want to do as much as I can to provide that and to ultimately like... I think the biggest point for me in my podcast is making f- people feel like they are they're involved with something and they're a part of something and they're not alone. Like that is honestly one of my biggest goals to reduce shame and to make people feel like they have support because I think potentially it's just what I lacked for a long time. And I think it's what a lot of people lack, especially Volvo owners who obviously are not getting a lot of support when it comes to their sex lives in the world that we currently live in, which obviously we've seen in the last week with Roe v. Wade and everything going on, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And my heart breaks to all the people that are going to be affected by this. I have to just acknowledge my privilege. A, I am white. B, I have financial resources and see, I have access to what I need when it comes to my sex life. And a lot of people don't. Um, and I think as much as we can sit around and we can talk about wanting to have better orgasms, there are people who are devastated right now about what their sex life is going to look like going forward and are terrified to, even talk about things or not have access to things to help them have a healthy sex life. And I just want to acknowledge that. And I don't want to end this podcast in a sad way or to bring up stuff. And I honestly, I don't want to talk about this heaps because I don't like, I don't, I feel like I am not someone to be speaking on this. I would rather just elevate voices who are in this space, who know a lot about this whole situation and have really been committed to the cause for a long time. And also people of color in this situation as well. So I'll link some resources below if you want to learn a bit more and understand what's going on. Um, and also places that you can donate and be a part of being on the right side of this conversation and helping people have what they need to be able to have fulfilling sex lives. Because Obviously, you're passionate about that for you. So let's be a part of the cause for other people as well and make a difference. Um, Thank you guys so much for being here. I really, really enjoyed recording this episode. And I always, I always enjoy it, but I always feel like afterwards, I, I just, I feel like it's so special. And I love when I get messages from you guys saying like, you know, you talk to us like we're your friends and I hope, you know, you want to be my friend and talk to you. And I absolutely do. I absolutely do. So please feel free to message me, um, to chat with me, to watch my TikToks if they help you. I, some people are like crazy about it and just love it. And so I'm, I'm very happy that it's been received well recently. And I've had the following that I have and just the support that I have because it means the world to me. And if you don't already follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple or whatever, it helps me if you guys follow it. So it also gives you guys notifications and whatever to when I post. So go ahead and do that if you feel compelled to. And thank you for sharing it on your stories and promoting it to people because you reach people that I don't reach. And it's really important that people get this information. Obviously, if you're still listening, then 
you thought it was valuable. So thank you so much. And um, I just hope you guys have a lovely next few weeks. Keep up with me on Instagram and TikTok and all the things. My Instagram and TikTok are both Alyssa Taylor Harper, which I'll link below. And um, lovely chatting with you. I will talk to you on the podcast in a few weeks, but catch up with me elsewhere. Okay. (laughs) All right. Have a lovely rest of your day. Goodbye.